your Bible this morning, let me invite you to go with me, please, to Psalm chapter 27. Psalm chapter 27. And uh, I want to begin by just reading a single verse. And I want to say for those that are keeping track, I've preached out of this passage before, but I have to say something to you that Sometimes God brings a message home to your heart in a new and a fresh way whenever you find yourself in a different place in life, dealing with different circumstances in life. Um, How many of you have been like me? You've read the Scriptures and you thought you had a good understanding of a portion of Scripture only to years later be in a situation and finally see the meaning in the passage. Well, that's been me a lot of times. And uh, I'm afraid there have been times where I've just been busy to try to get a message together and I had a great outline and I lost the message. That happens. But you know, there's something that God wants us to see today. And I believe that it's something that we all need to pay attention to on purpose. It's hard having a mask on to stay alert. Your face gets warm and you're breathing in carbon monoxide and you get drowsy. And if you need to pull that thing away so you take a good fresh breath of air, do what you got to do. Because I have something to say from the Word of God that is worth staying awake to hear. And so I want to just encourage you. Psalm 27 and verse number 8. When thou saidst, Seek my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. I want to bring you a message entitled, Drawing Near from the Heart. Lord God, we thank you that you are an all-wise God and that you're patient with us. Lord, today I pray that you might fill me now. And Lord, as I communicate this passage, I pray, Lord, that it would be more than an academic exercise, but may it be a true demonstration of Holy Spirit power. Lord, for those that perhaps do not know Thee as Savior, may today be the day of salvation for them. For this we pray in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. We're living in difficult days. It doesn't take a genius to know it. The fact is that our country has lost its way. In every sector, I'd like to say that many in the ecclesiastical world have stayed the course, but the truth is that what we see in the world today does not bear that out. There are many that have lost their way. I read an article put out by Associated Press last week about the recent national meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention and the debate that was ongoing about allowing women to be 
ordained into the pastorate and allowing transgenders and homosexuals to uh, become members of congregations. Folks, can I tell you something? We want everybody to come to church. If someone is struggling with their sexual identity, the, the one place they need to be is in church. Do you believe that? Because that's the one place where they're going to hear the truth. If there are people that are transgender and they've been put in that situation surgically, you know where they need to find love? In a Bible-believing church. Now that blows some people's minds. But folks, if we're not going to show the love of Jesus to those that have been marginalized in our world, who will? I'm not saying that if they want to practice an aberrant and immoral lifestyle that we make them full-fledged voting members of the church, but they're sure welcome to attend. And that's as it should be. Now, to become a member means that you, you sign on to the statement of faith. You agree to live by a covenant. You are entering into a covenant yoke relationship with that body. And my friends, to have people come in and become members compromises what you say that you believe. So in this world in which we're living, we have not only seen politically a departure from all that is moral and good. And socially we've seen that departure, but sad to say even ecclesiastically in churches we're seeing that departure. Not everything, my friends, that glitter is gold and not everything that claims to be a Christian really is. How many of you are aware of that? There are going to be many in the last days that claim to do many mighty works in the name of Christ, calling themselves Christians. But they will hear, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. And we would be wise to understand that. The fact of the, the, fact of the matter is this, that we're in a time where we're living in crisis. We, we mentioned in Sunday school some prayer requests, and Brother Mark mentioned how that we need to pray for America. And this past week, the Congress voted to pass the Equality Act, and it was voted down in the previous Congress, but there were several Republicans even that crossed the aisle to make it a bipartisan effort that will impose restrictions on churches and make codify into law that churches have to employ those who apply for employment at a church even if they're homosexual or transgender or hold to views that are divergent from what that church holds. Now I realize that that'll be challenged at the Supreme Court level, but could you ever imagine a day where that would be codified into law in America? Not in our lifetimes. And yet, it's moving to the Senate. And, and folks, I'm, I'm just telling you, we're, we're seeing a regression in our country. And, and raising children as I am in this particular culture, it's not for wimps. It's a scary proposition. 
And I find myself running to Jesus, seeking His wisdom for the answers of difficult issues in our day. As Brother Phil and Bonnie were leaving, they came to the drive-in and they left after Sunday school. But Brother Phil said, Pastor, uh, and he, he works over in the, uh, I believe it's a Goodyear uh, school district, works uh, as a maintenance man in, in, a, in a school there. And he said, this, just this week, we had to, to reassign a room and run plumbing to open up a bathroom for transgender students in the middle school. Folks, I'm just saying, we're living in a difficult day. We have people that are dying of COVID alone and not even a clergyman is allowed to come to their bedside to talk to them about their eternity. And if there was ever a time that was needed for God's people to be serious about the things of the Lord, it's right now. And yet I see on a broad scale people using COVID as their reason for a nominal commitment to the things of the Lord. They've just punched out. They may come to church, but they're never going to invite anybody to come. After all, it's COVID. They're not going to try to win anybody. Lord, after all, we're in a pandemic. And there's never been a greater need for people to hear the gospel. There's never been a time in our country's history where there has been a greater need for the people of God to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And yet we find so many people being swept up in the issues and difficulties of the day to the extent that all of a sudden the things of the Lord are just perfunctory and they go and they do the least and they go home and, 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 and they don't live out their faith. They stay home within the confines of their little place and, and, uh, and maybe they make, uh, make little trips to the mall or to the grocery store and, and, and they're happy content in their own little cocoon and the reality is the need has never been greater for God's people to understand that we are living in the very last days and what's required is for us to draw near to the heart of God and to come to the place where we have a heart that is beating in sync with the very heart of God. The man that wrote this psalm was David. He was in the midst of one of the most difficult experiences of his life. He was under the sentence of death and being pursued by Saul day and night, who vowed that he would kill him. David had done nothing but honor the king and love his God. And in the face of that difficulty and not even feeling as though his own family had supported him as they should in the conflict. He took pen and parchment and he wrote this psalm. And he said, When thou saidst, Seek my face, my heart said, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. You see, David was chosen not because he was a man of valor. David was not chosen because he had killed the giant. David was not chosen because he was a skilled musician, though he was all of that. 
David was chosen by God. According to Samuel 13 and verse 14, because he was a man after God's own heart. And God knew it. Why? Because 1 Samuel 16, 7 says that God seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. David was by no means a perfect man. He made a lot of grave mistakes. But nevertheless, he was called a man after God's own heart. And the reason was because at every point in his life, through trial and trouble, through victory and failure, he wanted to know, God, what would you have me to do? He pursued the heart of God. He was continuously after wanting to know, God, what would you do? What would you have me to do? God knew it. And what we read here is that when the Lord said, seek my face, he said, my heart said unto thee, thy face will I seek. I know what your lips might say. But I wonder, what is your heart saying? Because that's what God knows. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. We, we recognize that. You see, th- when we get saved, there's no magic words. We can't just say this mantra we call the sinner's prayer and trust that that's going to get us in. Because words alone never saved anyone. It's with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, you see. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Why? Because God is looking at the condition of our heart. And God knew that David was a man after his own heart. What does God know about you and your heart? And what is your heart saying today? You see, the Lord, even today, is as He did in days of old, saying, Seek me. Draw near to me. Too many times we have had an academic experience with God. We've had, we've had a church experience, but we have not come away feeling as though we have been drawn any nearer to our God. Oh, we, we know more about who were the kings of the northern and southern kingdom. We, we know more about how to trace the map of Paul's missionary journeys. We, we know all about who the apostles were, and, and we know all about the, the historicity and the veracity of it. We need to know all of that, and we need to understand it. But sometimes we learn the academics, and we draw no nearer the Lord. And when trouble comes into our life, reciting the names of the kings of the northern kingdom does nothing to help you. My children go to a Christian school. And twice a week they have chapel. And the other day I picked the kids up from school and I was asking them about their day as I always do. I said, how was chapel today? 
They said it was okay. I said, what do you mean by that? They said, we don't want to be critical, Dad. I said, well, well, tell me about it. And they said, well, the preacher in, in, in chapel, he was more like a professor, and he had 15 PowerPoint slides and about 20 or 30 points on each slide for teenage kids who are going through really hard times right now. And they needed something to help them but they didn't hear it today. Folks, I never want to, to have a service or a class at Freeway where you go home feeling smarter, but no nearer God. I know a lot of people that they, they follow after biblical scholars they read their works and they listen to their radio programs and they feel like they've reached a place of spiritual ascendancy. And they think they're nearer to heaven because of their knowledge. But they're no nearer God because of their pride. We're beset with issues and the fact is, God said to David, I want you to seek me. And he said, my heart said, Lord, I'll seek you. I'll seek your face. Today, God calls us to draw near in love, but that must be a work of the heart. It's not something that we do as automatons following the cadence of a man of God who says we have to do this or read that or pray this. And folks, that's... There's more to the Christian life. It's not just formulaic where that we say A, B, and C equals C. Look, it is a living, breathing relationship with the living Lord. And I believe today that we must come to the place where with our hearts we draw near to the Lord. And what we find is that David drew near to the Lord when he was afraid. And the Bible tells us there in verse number one, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. You see, he was drawing near to the Lord in time of fear. Now, my friends, I want you to understand something. That the Lord Jesus came to bring life and immortality to light, that He might dispel the fear from the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. My friends, some people don't understand why certain books are in the Bible and drafted the way that they are. But God in His infinite wisdom knew that there would be religious men who would play on the fears of people's hearts to try to get them to remain faithful to the Lord. And so they used the law as a means of instilling fear as a motivating influence to keep the offerings up and the attendance up. And the fact of the matter is that you're looking at a man that believes with all of his heart that the greatest force and power in heaven or in earth is the love of God. And I'm going to tell you that God's love and grace 
can lead a man or a woman to greater heights of devotion and closeness to God than the law could ever demand of you. The law says do it or die. Its fundamental uh, influence is fear, you see. Why would Mormon men and women give two or three years of their life in places like Maricopa County and ride a bicycle in 115 degree temperatures going from door to door. It's because they're afraid that if they don't, they're not going to make it. Fear is the driving influence. For as much as they want to sing the hymns of, oh, how I love Jesus. The reality is there are people that go to a mass and they pray the rosary and they light candles and they do penance. Why? Because of fear that they will lose their soul if they do not. And the reality is this, that Jesus came to remove the fear from our hearts. I'll tell you that when I was a child, I would often, during times where there would be a storm that would come, I'd find myself at mom and dad's door. How many of you are like me on that? When, when the thunder would just uh, rattle the shingles and, and uh, rattle the windows, and when it seemed like the winds would blow the house off of its uh, foundation, us kids would find ourselves knocking on mom and dad's door, wanting to bed down beside mom and dad's bed. Why? Because there was a comfort there. We wanted to draw near to the ones that we thought, thought that would keep us safe when we were afraid. Folks, I'm, I'm talking to somebody here today that's desperately afraid of living out your days in insolvency because of bad financial decisions or no decisions at all, just letting life happen around you and finding yourself in a place where financially you're not sure how you're going to make it. And, and day and night, that is your obsessive fear. I'm talking to some folks that are afraid of dying alone. They might live with somebody right now, but they don't care. They're not going to be there. They've not left, but they've long since forsaken. And that's your fear day and night. God says, I want you to draw near to me when you're afraid. I want you to draw near from your heart when you're afraid. And and then we read where it says in verse 3, Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise against me, and this will I be confident. You see, he was confident in God when he would be attacked by the enemy. Though an host would encamp against him. And I'll tell you this, we're living in a time where the enemy is walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, and spiritual warfare is a real thing. If you don't believe me, just take a survey of folks that are here on whether or not the devil came out of the woodwork at their house this morning. Right? How many of you know that the devil tries to discourage you on Saturday and on Sunday morning from being in the house of the Lord? How many of you know that? It's a real thing. And uh, you get in an argument. More times than, than I can remember talking to, to people through the years who, who they get into a knockdown, drag-out fight on the way to church. And, you know, the wife's saying, oh, go ahead. Just go in there and glad hand. Put your Bible on your arm. Be a hypocrite. Go ahead. Be, and then they turn around, they go home and continue it on. Or, you know, listen, the devil is going to do everything he can, you know. And, and or they decide to go ahead and drive in and stay, you know. And you know, shut up, you stink, cockeyed kids, get to Sunday school. Oh, hello, Pastor. God bless you. 
You understand? Spiritual warfare is a real thing. I'm going to just say to you that Satan knows when to launch an offensive against you. He knows how to defeat and discourage you. And you know what? When, when that happens, you know what we do? Draw nearer to the one who will secure us. When I was a little boy, I had a pair of skates. And in, in fifth and sixth grade, we lived on a, a street in San Jose, California that was a long, sloping drive. And at one end of the street was an apricot orchard. And we loved that because as kids, we would take our BB guns in the summertime. And, uh, I, you know, we, we did that now. You know, the parents would be put behind bars for sure. But, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd take our BB guns. My mother didn't know where I was for 10 hours out of the day every, every summer. How many of you were raised the same way? I mean, you know, now you can't find your kid for 20 minutes. You're calling 911 and, you know, asking for an APB on your child and things like this. But, but back then, you know, you just, you, you had your Cheerios in the morning and watched a few cartoons and then you got your BB gun and your bike and away you went. And that's what we did. And we spent a lot of time in that apricot orchard. But they built some more houses across the street and they paved the sidewalk across the street that went from the orchard downhill and the first street that you came to made a right-hand turn. It was evergreen. And it went down to the new elementary school. And we thought that was the best thing because with our roller skates, we could start at the orchard and we could go down and we could reach speeds up to about 100 miles an hour. We could make the turn. And when you hit the turn, we made like we were in the roller derby. How many of you remember watching roller derby? That was real. <laughs> and and we, we played like we were in the roller derby. And I remember one Saturday afternoon, I was, I was roller skating with my friend Bart. And uh, we're, I'm, I'm going down from the apricot orchard. And I'm, I'm, I'm hitting about 85 miles an hour. And Bart and I are neck and neck. And we're about to reach the corner, you know. And we're kind of down. And we're kind of nudging one another and so forth. Well, my roller skates had metal wheels. Am I dating myself now? I have to because nobody will go out with me, Tom. <laughs> I have to date myself. But anyway, I'm dating my... They had metal wheels. Now, how many of you know what happens when that metal wheel hits a stone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? You stop. That's it. So, man, I'm, I'm coming, coming onto the curve. I'm going down towards elementary school. And right there on the corner, I hit a rock. Just sure as shooting. And, man, I went end over end onto the front lawn of the neighbor that lived right there on the corner. And I'm laying there, and I, it knocked the wind out of me. I'm <gasps> trying to catch my breath, and I'm trying to take inventory, see if I've broken any bones. I have a concussion. You know, I'm seeing stars. I can't breathe. I'm laying <gasps> you know, my friends are like, hey, dude, are you okay? And, uh, you know, out of the corner of my eye, I see the neighbor's door come open. He throws the screen door open. He's running towards me, and I think, he thinks I'm severely injured. He's coming to offer me help to give me a drink of water and to help me home. And just as soon as he got to me, he reached down and took two hands full of my little shirt and started shaking me, saying, you stinking little brat, get off my lawn. And then he stands me up and I'm there on my skates, you know, trying to stand up and I'm like, <gasps> you know, and he's getting his finger in me. You little brats are always riding your skates on my grass. And, you know, I mean, he's given me what for. And little did he know my dad was in the driveway across the street watching the whole thing unfold. 
And so while he's giving it to me here, my dad's coming this way. And the closer my dad got to him, the bolder I got. And the taller I stood on my skates, right? Well, just then my dad got to him, and you know what? My dad squared off with that dude and and started putting his finger in that guy's chest. And he's saying, you listen to me, buddy. About the next time you lay hands on my son like that, I'm going to clean your clock. And he would have, you know. Because here's my, his son injured on the ground and this guy's coming out there and banging him on the ground. And do you know what? About that time I got behind my dad and I'm looking around I'm like, yeah. You know what? When I was attacked by the neighbor, very few things in the world would have given me the comfort like having my father nearby. And I could not have possibly got closer to him. I put my arms around him because I was under attack. And I'm going to just say to you, often we get under attack and we want to write Dear Abby or we want to watch Dr. Phil or we want to Google a solution or want to find something on the internet. And what we need to do we need to draw nearer to the one that will save us with all of our heart. David understood that. In verse 5 we see, In the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. You see, not only are we to draw near when we are afraid and when we are attacked, but when we are afflicted. In the time of trouble, he said, How many of you have trouble in your life? More than you can say grace over. There are a lot of folks that are thinking, man, i got so many issues in my life. I I remember one time I had somebody set up an appointment to come in, and they called Miss Jenny and made an appointment and came in. And uh, so they came in and sat down, and and they they just took a deep breath, (sighs) said, Pastor, I don't know where to start. Let me just start off by saying... I have issues. (laughs) How many of you can identify with that? I I mean, I've got issues, right? When you have trouble and you're afflicted, the Lord will give you a place of refuge in His tabernacle. And He will even bring praise to your lips in the midst of it all as you determine to draw near to Him. I think one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible is found in verse 10. It says, When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. You know, there are people in this room that know the pain of abandonment. There are ones that grew up as what we used to call latchkey kids. How many of you remember that term? I don't think they use it anymore. Sociologists have so many new uh, terms that they come out with all the time. But what we meant was kids that basically were raising themselves, many of them in single-parent homes, 60% of the kids in our country being raised like that. We have kids that come to our church on a regular basis who have never met a father. 
Father's Day is not a day to celebrate anything for them. All they know is that sometime when they were little, Dad walked out the door and never came back. We have people that come to our church all the time that were in marriages or relationships where that someone that they went to an altar with and swore to stay faithful to until death did they part, that that other person walked out the door and never came back. We have people in our church whose kids have sworn off of any fellowship or involvement with mom and dad because mom and dad go to church and they're always quoting the Bible and they're not comfortable with that. They'll abandon other kids. Maybe there's somebody that's walked out of your life. It hurts. I can't imagine having mother and father walk out. Can you? David was fleeing for his life. I, I often wonder where is Jesse? Did he bring him food and provision? Did he send Eliab, his oldest brother, to look out for him? He tried to get intel from the army about what they were doing to capture David. But when you're abandoned, it's not the time to seek the bottle or a prescription, but seek the Lord. Because he said, when you're forsaken like that, then the Lord will take me up. I've often thought about that phrase, the Lord will take me up. I thought, what in the world does that mean? How many of you have grandkids? Let me see your hand. Brother Kelly, did you and Bonnie get to see those grandkids? Praise the Lord. Boy, that just brings a smile to your face, joy to your heart. I'll just bet, I'll just bet there was some point in time where there was... Grandpa! Right? That happens with me. And boy, they come running. Right? And what do we do? It doesn't matter that you have a slip disc. Right? And that old Arthur has come to camp out, right? Do, do you know arthritis? You, you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter that all, all you know is here's that little one coming for you. And you know what you do? You bend over as much as it hurts and you let them jump into your arms. And you know what you do? You take them up. You take them up. And you hold them close and you spin them around. And you give them, I shouldn't be doing that. And, uh, and uh, just had COVID. And... Uh, Somebody's going to have to take me up. <laughs> and, you, and you hold them and you kiss them and you say, I've missed you so much. You put them down and say, let me see how big you've got. Man, you've grown three inches since I saw you last and you take them back up again. You see, when everybody else in the world has lost your phone number and your email address, he'll take you up. He'll wrap you up in his arms. You know how David discovered that? There wasn't anybody in a cave with him. Or hiding in a ravine under a bush. He was there by himself. Fact is, 
he realized that what he needed more than anything was the Lord in those moments. And he sought the Lord with all his heart. And when the Lord said, seek my face, he said, my heart said, Lord, I will seek thee. What is your heart saying to the Lord today? Oh, the Lord wants us to seek him and draw near to him when we're afraid and when we're attacked, when we're afflicted and in trouble, when we're abandoned. There's another time he wants you to seek him and draw near to him, and that is that when you're accused, the Bible says in verse 12, deliver me not over to the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. Have you ever had someone say something about you that was not true? Have you ever had someone misunderstand and misjudge you and it hurt you deeply? I have. I hold on to a verse that is profound, really. It wasn't in my notes, but the Lord said, I better share this because someone's going through this. In Psalm 37, the Bible says, the wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. You know what that's telling me? That God isn't letting your accuser have the final word. He will. God is never going to allow your accuser to have the final word. What will he do? Verse 6 tells us. He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. You know what he's saying there? You be still and know that he's God. He's got this. And in time, guess what? Those who accuse you will take a step back and it'll be as plain as the light of day. They belong. He'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and thy judgment. The choices that you made as a noonday, it'll just be as plain as day. When we try to defend ourselves and when we try to find the answers of how to address all of these things, we only convolute and make them worse but when we allow God to be our defender and when we draw near from the heart unto God when we are accused he will allow our righteousness and our judgment to come forth as the noonday now my friends those are some pretty heavy points let me say this to you in all the times I preached out of Psalm 27, I missed it. I missed that it was about the heart. I thought it was just about the exercise of going to the Lord and you know, casting my burden upon the Lord and He'll sustain me, and, and that's true. But David said in verse number 6, And now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. 
and you'll sing. Yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. How many times have we come to the Lord with our requests, but not our rejoicing and praise? You see, what does your heart say if you only draw near in need, but never in appreciation? I have kids. I love every one of them. I, I want to spoil them rotten. It's probably not good for them, but that's just what's in my heart. I want them to have better and more than what Daddy had. That's just what I want for my kids. You want that for yours too, don't you? And a gift in love is just given without any strings. But isn't it nice? you've done something because you love them just out of nowhere you feel two arms wrap around you and they kiss you on the neck and say dad thanks you have no idea how much that means I didn't do it for that but you know somehow that just draws us closer a thousand times I've come to the Lord and said, God, I need this. Please, can you hurry it up? And then when he responded, I forgot to come back and say thank you. When it could have been an opportunity for us to get just a little bit closer. With my heart, I said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. See, it's not something that people can program into their lives. It's got to be an act of the heart. A spontaneous response to the goodness of God. The Bible says in verse 4, would you see it with me? One thing have I desired of the Lord. Now that's a powerful statement all by itself. Only one thing have I desired of the Lord. Not many things, just one thing. If I could only ask God for one thing. If I could just have God give me this one thing. What would you say? What would it be? What David said was this. That will I seek after. This is what I want of the Lord. I'm seeking after it. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord. And to inquire in His temple. He wanted to live in intimacy with the Lord his God. Above everything else. My friends, we want his salvation. We don't have to act like we want the Savior. We want the provision and we dismiss the provider. We want what he can do for us. 
And we are nothing more than religious consumers. Here's the last point. Draw near when you're amazed that you're such a skunk and he loves you anyway. That you're often an ingrate and he keeps on giving. That he's delivered you more times than you can count and he's still there. When was the last time that your heart said, Thy face, Lord, will I see? And the one thing that I want more than anything else is to just have that intimate relationship with you, to dwell with you all the days of my life, not to have a bigger house or a better car or nicer vacations, but you. He said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He knew God above all else was good. He was a good God. When was the last time you fell on your face before him and said, God, I didn't come today to ask you for a single thing. I just really want you to know how much I love you. God, I didn't come because I want something from you. I came to this moment because I want you. We want a series on prayer because we want to know how we can move the hand of God to get stuff from him. But folks, that prayer is entering into a time of intimacy and communion with God where I lay bare my soul in trust before the Almighty. And I spend some time just thanking him, not for what he gives me, but for who he is. And he is good. He's altogether lovely. And I find sometimes I live like he's commonplace. And folks, what he's calling me to do is seek my face. David said, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, I will seek. What is your heart saying today? Thy face, Lord, I'll draw near from the heart. Tragedy of tragedies is this. To have a God like that and broken-hearted people all around us and we never let them in on it. 
Folks, God is good. Don't keep it a secret. Lord God, we thank you for this time that we have had to just worship you and to make much of you. And Lord, I pray that we would be reminded that you said to Samuel that God seeth not as man seeth, for God, man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. Lord, may you see hearts right now that are saying, Lord, thy face will I seek. If I could only ask you for one thing, Lord, it would not be for something from you. It would be just you. To be with you. That's what I want. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Perhaps this morning, as we've considered the subject of drawing near from the heart, You've tried to draw near with your car because you've come to church. Maybe your heart really wasn't in it. And God's speaking to you. He's calling you to live the life that He yearns to have with you. Perhaps someone here today in their heart of hearts would say, Pastor, I want my heart to say, Lord, thy face will I seek. Pray for me that my heart's cry would be to simply be with him. Raise my hand, pray for me. I want my heart to, to, to just be an open book before the Lord. God bless you. Many hands, many hands today. Then perhaps there's someone in the room that would say, you know, Pastor, the truth is that if I died today, I'm not even really sure that I would go to heaven. I'm not sure my sins are forgiven. And if that's you today, I, I would never embarrass you. And I'd like to have the joy of remembering you in a moment of prayer. If you're not certain that you're on your way to heaven and that your sins are forgiven, you would say, Pastor, I'm concerned about that. Please remember me in prayer. I wonder if you'd slip your hand up while no one is looking. Say, pray for me. Is there one like that? Just slip it up and write back down. In a moment, we're going to have just a brief time of invitation and I know that we're in a pandemic and some people may feel funny about that but whether you sit and pray or you choose to come forward and pray God is speaking to your heart why don't you let this be the beginning of something that draws you nearer why don't today you go home and not just feel like you learned something new, but that you gain new ground 
in nearness with God. You can do it. Our heads are bowed. Would you stand to your feet? Would you stand if you're able? Lord God, I pray that you would bless in this moment that your will would be accomplished in our lives today. Brother Lyle is going to lead us, and as he does, if you feel inclined to come forward and pray, invite you, or to just kneel where you are and pray. As we sing, you do as God directs. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to are praying as we sing the next verse. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark plot to thee whose blood can God, how we praise you for who you are. We thank you that you're such a good God, that you're a beautiful God. Lord, I pray that we would never come to you as though you were commonplace. Help us, dear God, to never, ever get over the wonder of it all. For this we pray in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. Years ago, we had a family that uh, sold their home in California and brought their equity to Arizona, bought their dream house. Big home, almost 4,000 square feet. And uh, it wasn't long after that husband and wife found their way into my office. They were crying and they said, we just want what we used to have. We want to move back into our 1,200 square foot house with a roof leak. Because now we have 4,000 square feet and everybody runs to their corner and we have no intimacy in our family anymore. And there was a day when we got married that our parents told us we we were foolish, we couldn't afford anything, but we were living on love and buying on time. Didn't care if we lived in a shack or a tent, so long as we had each other. And somewhere along the line, everything else became really important. But we'd like to have what we used to have. You know, some of you remember that time when you were closer to the Lord. And somewhere along the line, other things became more important. 
Let me go back to the place where a tent or a cottage. Why should I care? He's building a palace for me over there. God, if I could just have one thing, it would just be you. Would to God we go home with that thought in our heart. And with our hearts, may we say, Lord, thy face will I seek. Amen.